We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app on the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to turn cash into crypto. Cash App now supports Bitcoin deposits in-app, so be sure to move your Bitcoin from whatever wallet you're using to Cash App. Don't have any to deposit? Cash App is also the most convenient way to instantly buy and sell Bitcoin. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfers to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, and places like Chick-fil-A. It's also a favorite of the block's analyst, Steven Zhang. He saves money at Chipotle every time he gets a burrito. That keeps Steven happy, that keeps the block happy, and that keeps the crypto world informed with the best news and research in the entire market. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me for what is a very special episode of The Scoop here in snowy New York City. That's right, we just saw some flakes touch the ground earlier today. We are joined by our very special guest, Horatio Barakat. He is a VP of Corporate Strategy for Broadridge, a global financial services consulting firm. And of course, I am joined by Ryan Todd, a researcher here at The Block. And we're going to be diving into some very interesting topics about blockchain, digital asset technology, and of course, the company that is Broadridge. Horatio, thanks so much for joining us. I guess the best place to start, I think our crypto native audience might not necessarily be aware with what your firm is doing, what your firm is all about. Let's start there. Let's start with Broadridge. It's a a massive publicly traded firm, well known in, in the financial services space. It touches many different corners of finance. How would you describe it to someone listening? First of all, thanks for having me, Frank. No, it's my um, uh, So Broadridge is a, it's a financial technology company. Uh, basically, we provide uh, financial solutions to the capital market industry, including firms uh, like uh, broker-dealers, asset, manager, asset management firms, uh, wealth management firms. And we are, all, we are also um, the leader in investor communications uh, worldwide. So as you said, you're right. We are, we are a large publicly traded company uh, uh, that actually provides you know, uh, critical services to the entire financial uh, service industry worldwide. Uh, particularly, I, I, I lead innovation and new product solutions for our uh, fixed income technology group. Um, and. Um, it is a platform that actually uh, trades or processes uh, most of the fixed income trades uh, in the U.S. Uh, a large percentage of the trades go through our back office processing, uh, and uh, including 40 broker dealers, um, uh, including 19 of the 24 primary dealers. So that gives you a sense of the scale that Broadridge has and the importance of Broadridge uh, in the financial service industry. The, the main reason why I really want to have you on the show is because I think what you guys are doing is so outside the scope of what is often talked about or pontificated about among the crypto pundits. When we think about what crypto can do, we think security tokens, which have really done not that much. Or we think about the uh, Bitcoin becoming a safe haven global asset, right? Or, or somebody tweeted today something about Bitcoin becoming the uh, world currency. Um, what I like about you guys is you're touching things like fixed income, you're touching um, the repo market. These are, I mean, Brian, you can chime in if I'm wrong, but I feel like those areas of finance, when it pertains to crypto and digital assets, aren't necessarily at the forefront. But you guys have had some success in, in, in bringing firms into the fold uh, to adopt some of these solutions. So with that said, let's talk about some of the projects you guys are working on in digital assets, in blockchain technology. 
That's a very interesting point, and that, that goes to you know, the strategy that we set out uh, several years ago around our blockchain or DLT strategy. Uh, it was basically trying to find uh, very, very specific use cases that could provide a significant step change in process improvement or significant, significant value to, our, uh, to the industry, uh, number one. But number two, also areas where Broadridge has uh, the network, the necessary network, the necessary volume of clients to actually increase adoption. There are many ideas out there that they were, there still are, but if you don't, if you don't find areas where, uh, where there is tangible value to be had uh, and you have the necessary uh, client base or network to drive adoption towards that use case, uh, then it's very difficult to make it, to make it happen. And that is what, what we think we bring to the industry, you know, they're bringing blockchain and DLT to reality by tangible use cases that are going to go live you know, in the near future. Mm -hmm. What's near future for you? As early as uh, middle of next year. Sure. Uh, okay. So what, what, what will we see in, in 2020 out of Broadridge, mid-2020? In 2020, you'll see the realization of, of a lot of hard work around DLT, um, not only by ourselves, but, uh, but with our early adopter clients around this technology. Uh, we are planning uh, to go live with our repo platform. Uh, that we've been working at it for you know, over two years now, close to three, um, with, with, large, with, with large clients. Uh, and we expect to onboard them by middle of next year. Uh, and the idea is, is to, as I said, tackle uh, very interesting use cases, you know, primarily you know, as it relates to what I'm focusing on, uh, the repo platform that we think is going to create uh, significant value for the industry uh, by generating or starting to create uh, market infrastructure change around the repo market. So for the let's repo like market. take a step back then for a second. What are the infrastructure problems that are in the repo market today for the types of folks you're talking about, broker-dealers, et cetera? And what is the solution? Yeah. That. yeah. yeah. Um, so... Uh, let's start with the solution and what, what the problems that are solving, right? So uh, we are creating a, a, a distributed ledger-based repo platform where market participants, you know, usually broker-dealers and, and buy-side firms, uh, can actually enter, agree, accept, reject, and settle uh, all of their repo transactions. Um, the way that we're thinking about that is creating a, a synchronized workflow amongst all the participants that are uh, that are you know part of parties to that to that transaction. So if you think about what what, what a repo transaction is, and maybe this is something for your audience to uh, to go through, it is a it is a short term form of of financing where one counterparty borrows cash from the other counterparty and provides securities as collateral for that cash. Usually it happens overnight, so then the next day, you know, the reverse happens. Uh, cash goes back and collateral goes back to the, to the original holder. Uh, so the idea is, you can, you can see by my explanation that that is a very convoluted process with collateral and cash moving, moving uh, in both directions. Uh, it needs to have you know, agreement through all the stages of the transaction, from, from entering the transaction, agreeing the transaction, selling the transaction, and then the off leg, which is the reverse of that transaction. So that is a very convoluted process. So by creating a synchronized workflow um, for all participants to not only agree on the terms of the transaction on a single source of truth on a single platform, but then be able to follow all the transaction with the same information of the contract and the same information around collateral and cash, provide significant efficiencies for all market participants. And I think that's what we're after, and that's what, that's what our early adopted clients are seeing as the benefits to this platform. Are those efficiencies, or is it reduction of time of settlement or is it is it transit like what are the efficiencies is it reduced costs what uh what, what do those look like it is definitely everything centered about reduction in cost and operational efficiencies uh in, increase operational efficiency so just to name a few uh you have since everybody's working under the same similar and the same workflows there is no need for reconciliations which is a huge expense for the entire capital market industry not just on repos but in everything else uh since you're working on a single source of truth of collateral uh, that are pledged for uh, to receive the cash, um, 
reduces or eliminates, hopefully, uh, the, the fail component, kind of the trade fails uh, that usually happen in industry because you know what collateral is available, so then there's no failing that transaction. Right? Um, and then obviously, uh, limiting or reducing the movement of collateral between the parties because collateral obviously you know, goes one way, but the next day, overnight, it comes back, right? mm. as we talked about uh, yeah. when we explained the repo transaction. So all those operational efficiencies and reduction in cost actually become significant uh, once you add them up uh, you know, for one particular client, and then as a whole, they become significant efficiencies for the industry. Where does it start? Do you start with addressing a specific problem, saying, all right, you know, there are efficiencies that we can improve here, and then we'll figure out which technology or which technology stack we can improve with, or do you start with, okay, here's what blockchain can do, what are some of the problems that we can fix using it? Well, we started with the use case, because we always thought, because we were you know, broadly embedded in in all these fixed income transactions, in the repo transactions that we process on the back office, on, on our back office systems. So we always knew about this, you know, this pain point for the industry. Uh, so uh, looking into the distributed ledger technology, uh, you know, made us realize that this was a perfect use for this technology, uh, basically creating a, a single source of truth of transactions, of contracts, of collateral. Um, and once we realized that this is the great use case for this technology, then we went up, we went about and you know, uh, worked through you know, a POC, a pilot, and then decide, decided uh, what type of technology we need, what, what kind of modern language we're going to use, what kind of ledger we're going uh, we're going to focus in for this particular use case. So we went, I think the progression of you know, people talk about blockchain and DLTs, the technology looking for us for a, for, a, for a problem. We had a problem. Right? And we found the, the, the technology that's going to help us solve that industry problem. I think the question of when, when is blockchain a, you know, a technology looking for a problem as opposed to actually addressing one is one that we, we face across the enterprise blockchain. How do you sort of view that argument of it not necessarily being able to scale to something that would be effective as a as a solution to some of the problems that are uh, plaguing the financial services industry? I think where that comment may come from, and it wasn't part of that conversation, but usually uh, that comment about uh, blockchain DLT not being you know, widely spread, uh, changing the financial services industry as a whole, which was the early stages of the thinking, uh, in my opinion, it is because it is very difficult for the entire industry or a large percentage of the industry to create that, that, network, that network effect uh, that adopts a particular solution. Uh, it is it's like going to a party, right? It's very difficult. Are you going to the party? Uh, I don't know. Are you going? So nobody goes, right? Until, or everybody goes or nobody goes. So breaking that cycle is very difficult. Uh, so, um, and that takes time. And it may or may not be successful. Um, how we thought about it is the way for us to break that cycle is to provide very, very specific point solutions that will excite people, that will incentivize people to, to join the party, to actually use that solution. And then uh, once that you have the early adopter participants actually benefiting from that solution, the compounding effect of, of further innovation, of further evolution of that particular use case uh, will potentially bring that overhauling change and, and disruption that people were talking er earlier on. Very difficult to say if and when, but if you don't provide that, that initial stepping stone, it's very difficult to create. So, it's really interesting. I, I like your party analogy. I was speaking with someone last night, we won't say who, but they're coming out with research with a um, Forrester, which is a mm -hmm. well-known firm in the space. And so their point, one of the findings that they have here is for every company interested in a blockchain to start their own. I don't know if that's the exact stat, but I, it speaks to a point of everyone wants to be the master of their own domain. Whether, and, and, and that's true of technology, and I think that's true of blockchain as well. So when you guys come up with something, 
uh, and you're pitching it to clients, right? They all want to be differentiated, right? That's the whole idea. We, we need to be differentiated. How do you get over that hump and say, all right, let's all sort of leverage the same thing, come around what we're doing here at Broadbridge. Don't necessarily launch your own because it's not going to make you necessarily differentiated from your competition, but if we all enjoy the same pool, we can all benefit. Does that, does that make sense? And get them past the POC. Like, it's easy to, sure. here's this free, like, come explore this with us. What, how do you get them past that to the finish line? I think is for us, it's a combination of our history, number one. And number two is the specific use cases that we, that we thought of. So, number one, our history is uh, clients have our, you know, they, they, they trust us. Uh, we have delivered, we continue to deliver solutions that are vital uh, for their processes. So uh, they know that Broadridge is gonna deliver on, on whatever we, are, we promise or we get, uh, we get going or we start. Um, so that is, you know, I think it's very difficult for, for startups or, or early stage companies to, to have that level of credibility with, you know, with the financial service industry as a whole, large, large corporations, banks, asset managers. Um, so that is probably you know, an advantage that we have given our history. Uh, but number two is, very, is, is to be very, very focused on, on the use case. And the use case cannot be, it has to be a combination of two things. It, it, it needs to solve for an industry problem, not a particular use case for a handful of companies, something that benefits Broadridge. It has to be an industry-wide pain point. It has to be something that gives the industry an idea that, yes, we all agree that this is a true pain point, so we are gonna go behind it and try to solve it. We need to have that long-term vision in mind. But then a sub-piece of that is creating, while you, while you keep that vision in mind, you need to create an incentive, a, a particular use case to bring immediate benefits. So people can say, okay, I'm gonna have the benefits immediately without the need to invest a lot of time, effort, and money that's gonna, it's gonna get me in the door with some specific benefits, but then keep in mind the longer term industry-wide pain point that we're solving. And I think the combination of those two, uh, the history of Broadridge of delivering, plus the way we're thinking about, you know, always with the long term in mind, but focusing on, on specific pain points that de-risk the, the jumping into the pool, right? Uh, I think that what makes the, the handful of DLT solutions that we're working on, uh, successful. Do you ever come to clients with, with DLT-based solutions and immediately, not necessarily they shut down, but they're sort of like, whoa, I don't know if I'm sure, I don't know if I'm going to get on board with that. Yeah, what's the sales pitch? Well, we, we, we had some, you know, depending on the client, depending on, uh, depending on the solution. Old school broker dealer, they go, I don't want anything to do with One client recently started the meeting saying, if I knew this meeting was going to be about DLT, we should have gone straight for drinks. <laughs> um, and that's a real that's, quote. That's um, pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably you faced it in the past. But, yeah. uh, so, but after, after 45 minutes or even less, after 30 minutes of explaining, you know, this is what we have in mind. This is, this is our long-term plan. But this is the, you know, the short-term incentive for all of us to get into the solution, particularly the repo solution specifically we're talking about. Uh, and by you know, half an hour later, uh, this person was actually instructing uh, a couple of people on the call to actually start doing research as to what would be the benefits for, for themselves of implementing this solution. So we face the, you know, the, the people that say DLT you know, shouldn't happen, don't come to talk to me about this, uh, but if you, if you come in with a, with a very specific value proposition for the long term and you know, lower risk investment uh, of time and resources that are gonna provide you with savings in the near term, you definitely have their attention. There's DLT or anything else, any other product, you provide your client with those views, they're willing to listen. Everybody will be willing to listen. Not about DLT, but about anything. So let's 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 focus in a little bit more on that repo platform. And we're looking. We fast forward to mid 2020. Who's on it? Who, who's engaging with it? 
what are the KPIs that you're looking at for success um, once that starts rolling out full steam in uh, the middle of next year? Um, we are planning on having, um, well, we will have uh, a handful of clients uh, onboarded by middle of next year. Um, and obviously, that's, that's not the definition of a network, as we discussed, right? It's just a handful of clients mm -hmm. uh, that are going to start benefiting from this platform from day one. Um, and then once that, that those early adopter clients um, start benefiting from the solution, then we're going to continue, as you said, pitching to clients. But then the fact that you, you're already live, clients are benefiting from it, then the question is, why, why, am I, why aren't am I doing this? Why, 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 why am I waiting? Um, that other clients will feel that, well, if, if, it, if it works for them, why not for me? Let me, let me investigate. Uh, so I think that, that rollout is going to yeah, uh, be a snowball effect. Um, as it relates to the KPIs, is basically savings. No, making the processes much more efficient, um, cost reduction. Uh, the whole financial services industry is under very, a lot of cost pressure, capital pressures. Uh, so anything that can provide immediate benefits um, and, and, and relieve some of that pressure. Um, is there a rough estimate what that cost takeout is? Like what the percentage is? Uh, it's not a percentage. Uh, it is, uh, every client is different. Yeah. Uh, but you're talking about uh, in the multiple millions of dollars for each client. Interesting. And so, are there any firms you can share at this moment, or do they all sort of look the same? You said broker dealers, but broker Prime dealers, dealers, asset management firms are the you know the two largest pools of uh, of participants in the repo market. Um, I cannot name names as of now. Uh, what I can and it's public information. Uh, we. We have clients that, have, that had participated um, on our early pilots. Uh, but what were some of the takeaways from the pilot um, that you know, informed how you are going to roll out the fully uh, implemented uh, platform? The first one was a technology phase, right? That's the technology you know, works to execute repo transactions in the platform, right? That is the, 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 basic, the basic POC. Um, and we went through that with, with, with clients because we, we didn't want to, you know, one thing that we never want to do is, you know, innovate in our conference room, right? What sounds great in your conference room, then you take it to clients and, you know, doesn't work, doesn't make sense. So, um, so the POC basically validated that the technology was suited for, um, to solving, you know, the pain points in the repo market. Uh, then the next phase, which is more the pilot phase that happened um, uh, later, uh, late last year, was validating that uh, the workflows that we had created were actually adding the value that we thought they were gonna, they're gonna create. Um, and obviously on top of that, we kind of, it's the workflows, the idea of the throughput potential of the technology, all those, all those checks had to happen during the pilot phase. Um, and once we, we validated those with the, with the pilot participants, uh, then we set out to start you know, productizing what we, th what we think is the solution that's going to be successful next year. You or mentioned one of the decisions uh, during this process is what type of ledger to use. Uh, and it's always a question I always have is, uh, do you look to build this stuff in-house? Like, how do, you, how do you view that long-term? Is it, is it partnering with uh, someone that, like a digital asset uh, and DAML, which I believe is what yep. it's built on? Um, long term, do you see other banks, other financial service providers that are looking at to DLT to look to build that in-house or, or continue to partner with uh, other blockchain-as-a-service type companies? For us, for Broadish particularly, we are in the business of providing applications, business solutions, mm. uh, right? Basically, you would call top-of-the-stack solutions. Uh, we are definitely not in the business of, of building our own ledger or even you know, creating a modern language to to build this, so uh, because that is not a core expertise, we wouldn't we wouldn't know how to. We wouldn't want to. Uh, we focus on the top of the stack business application. Um, so we always took a view of 
been, especially you know, the early stages of the technology, be very uh, you know, fairly agnostic as to uh, what platform we, we should use. So we investigated, uh, we tested you know, all of the major platforms, uh, and we actually, for the various use cases that we have, we're actually using various platforms. Uh, and and that, that decision is always uh, derived from, is, is this platform well suited for this use case? Not just one, 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 one platform is good for all. Uh, as it relates to the particulars of, of the repo platform, uh, we decided to, uh, to use uh, digital assets modeling language uh, and then deploy that application modeling that language, deploy it on, on our three uh, Corda ledger. And that is the stack that we are, that we're gonna go live on. You guys put out, this was like a long time ago, back when I was a starry-eyed infant journalist at Business Insider. He always brings this up every episode. <laughs> There's always one story that I can hearken upon, the Hassleyon days of, of my first uh, financial journalism job. Um, but then you guys put out a report that estimated that there were huge productivity gains in uh, sort of leveraging outsource technology for banks, right? 20 to 30%. The, the title of the report was Pathways to Profit, um, Deploying New Technologies um, that Mix in In-House Developments and, and uh, Out-of-House Developments uh, can, can sort of translate into, into uh, benefits for, for obviously both sides. Looking at a higher level, you know, putting DLT aside, putting blockchain aside, um, do you think from your seat there's a better understanding on the street that banks can't go it alone necessarily? Uh, for things that are not necessarily differentiated, we can tap into a broad bridge. We can tap into similar firms. Um, there, you know, if you think of uh, companies like Sigfig on the wealth management side of the business. Um, we can use their technology, and, and if I'm UBS, so can Morgan Stanley. They can use their technology, too. And we all benefit from this tide that lifts all boats. Is there a better understanding of that now than there was when I wrote this story in <laughs> October 2020? Absolutely, there is. Uh, so uh, the industry as a whole is coming to the realization uh, of, uh, of mutualizing uh, non-differentiating cost. Uh, the idea that uh, financial services firms they have they add tremendous value, uh, you know, to the industry. The idea is there's some non-differentiating aspects that 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 they should be focusing on, uh, and they can rely on firms like like Broadridge to provide uh, at scale and high quality uh, processing services that are non-differentiating to their to the you know uh, higher level in the stack activities that they want to provide. Um, I think a little bit is the realization of uh, you know, the quality of the service providers, uh, Broadridge being one of them, uh, and, and the cost pressures uh, yes. that, that the industry is going through, right? Um, you know, challenges on return on capital, um, you know, cost pressures, regulatory pressures that increase their costs. So um, I think uh, it, is, it, it is coming to realization that was, that is, that was always you know, Broadridge's long-term strategy and, 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 and North Star. Um, and I think it is, it is continued to happen. I just want to correct myself. So the 20 to 30% uh, productivity gain could be, uh, would be the result of, of new technologies like AI machine learning, not necessarily outsourcing um, to build out those technologies, but those technologies themselves. But you're absolutely right. The, the fact of the matter is there is cost pressure to do this themselves. So they kind of have to rely on, on firms like Broadridge. At least that's the underpinning thesis of this old report. I'm sure there's probably an update somewhere. Um, there's a rock and a hard place. Again, we need to cut costs. Technology is the key to cutting costs, but we can't afford to implement the technology that would cut the costs. So what do you do? Um, when you look at firms like JP Morgan that are spending, I mean, trillions and trillions of dollars on 
billions. Billions, sorry. See, that's why we need to. <laughs> There's my one number correction for this episode. Billions and trillions of dollars. Nine billion, I think. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's an insane, like, ten billion plus annualized tech investments, Ben. To Frank's point, do you, I mean, do you, how do you view the, is there competition for this? Is there, a, do you feel like a race to get this to go live? Like, do you even worry about a JP Morgan, IIN exactly. network? Like, yeah. Um, well, we, we want to go, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's exactly right. So in some instances, there are firms that, you know, may not be in that same rock and a hard place. If they get there and they can do it, is that bad for you guys? Well, we look at it as, first of all, we, we, we want to go live, uh, soon for the benefit of our clients. So the clients say, well, uh, you know, and quote, how early can we get this live to start getting the savings? Well, as soon as we can get it live, right? So there's no thinking about, you know, you know race to be first, but we want to provide these services to our clients as soon as possible. Uh, and we know that we, are, that we are serving our clients and we're creating, again, with that long-term in mind, right, a, a solution or a platform that would create uh, infrastructure change that will benefit all our clients. Uh, if there are uh, competing, uh, competing you know, initiatives, uh, you know, more than welcome, uh, but we think that given the network that Broadridge has and the ability to deliver products as an independent provider as opposed to a market participant uh, makes the platforms that we build uh, suited for our clients. Uh, we are never going to be party to any transactions. Um, we are going to provide the technology that would allow them to be more efficient. So without worrying about what happens outside, sure. then with that strategy in mind, we know we're going to be successful. And you're driven probably by your clients. For the repo market project, that was probably, you know, it, it came to the forefront because of the client anxieties around engaging with that market and, and them coming to you and asking for a solution. I'm sure there are some things, maybe, that your clients might be talking about, maybe some fringe clients, and you guys might not be as interested in something that they're looking for. Um, when it comes to DLT, are they asking about, you know, stable coins? Are they asking about other things that you might find interesting personally, but as a firm, you might want to play a more wait-and-see approach? Uh, we or take a yeah. We, we keep an eye on, as part of our you know, longer-term strategy, we keep an eye and we track all developments around cryptocurrency, stablecoins, uh, DLT, AI, you know, every, every technology that could affect positively or negatively uh, the financial services industry, we have to track. And we, we, we do that. We have a large corporate strategy group uh, that actually, you know, try to understand and, and evaluate the impact of those technologies. Um, we have clients of ours are, you know, have their own stable coins, they're thinking about it. Uh, some of them are public in the open. Uh, and, and we talk to our clients about what they're doing. Um, you ever said why, though? Why do we need a stable coin? It's so lame. <laughs> we don't get into why. Uh, I think we try to understand, you know, how they're doing it, how can we help them, uh, if, there's, if there's a role that they think Broadridge can play and help them with their strategies. Uh, but, uh, but also our clients, uh, they also have their, similar to Broadridge, they have to think about the impact of these new technologies uh, for their own businesses. Um, so, so with that in mind, they have to experiment, they have to, you know, they have to do things that are out of the box for them also. Uh, and we see that as part of this, you know, stablecoin and cryptocurrency experimentation. What is the most out-of-the-box thing? Imaginative thing, you, yeah, out-of-the-box. What do you think about all of these, like, oranges on the blockchain, salmon on the blockchain? There was a story on Coindesk today about um, UPS ships beef to Japan tracked by the blockchain. Does that touch your world at all, or <laughs> do you have any personal views on... It doesn't. It doesn't touch the world, obviously, <laughs> far as, as far as you can imagine from the financial services industry. But um, if you think about those things, right, assets being being tracked uh, and being kind of digitized and represented on a distributed ledger, if you think about the basis of it, it's not dissimilar to 
tokenized and representing securities or collateral, right? The fact that they move, you know, securities much move more efficient than, you know, fish. Um, but the concept remains, right? If you, I'm not sure what the ultimate pain point or problem that they're solving by tracking fish. It's probably not. How did you guys get introduced to um, digital assets? Let's plug them for a little while. When we did the podcast with them, I said digital asset throughout the podcast. And no one it's the other way around. You had it right. Did I? Yeah. Did I? Daniel, how did you guys find your way to? Uh, we are an investor in, uh, in digital asset. Um, oh, geez. Yeah, <laughs> since uh, 2016. So, um, yes, we, we have a very close relationship um, um, with all the team there. Um, we think very highly of their, of their technology. We think that uh, uh, DAML, uh, as an open source uh, modeling language, fits very well to what we're trying to do, uh, particularly, you know, it is, it is very well suited for... Um, um, or you know, multi-party workflows, uh, so developers can think about you know the workflow more so than the development aspect of it. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so so simplify the process. Simplify the process, yeah. right? So uh, that you can be someone who's not necessarily uh, you know a heavy coder, but you know if you're biz dev, you can kind of better understand what what's going on in the code. I think that's a correct. Fair way and, and 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 the way that you know it is not just the technology, but the if you probably talk to the staff there, uh, which probably were here in my seat right now, uh, they had they have a lot of experience in capital markets in the financial services industry, and that's why the way you can you combine you know technology expertise with you know with business expertise on financial services, um, which they deployed into their demo. How do, where, where does broad versus value add step in? the repo market, how far can digital asset go? And then where do you guys sort of step in to, to, to service the clients to that, to that next level? Um, so it is a modern language, right? So yep. how, how we are using it is uh, we are developing our application, our repo application using that modern language. So we're building the app, if, if you want, using their language. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the value that Broadridge brings. We know the well, market. Sure, no, that makes sense. So why can't then either digital asset or the, the bank client you have or the broker-dealer your client you have build that app on top of the language themselves? They can. they can. The question is, first you need to have the business expertise, which, you know, as I, as, as I explained, the, the repo product, yeah. it seems very simple but there is a lot of complexities from top to bottom, from, you know, from front office to back office processing. And only, you know, not everybody and very few firms know that process inside out as projects does. Uh, and number two, we go back to the, to the potential of success, right? You need to be able to create a network for everybody to agree that this is the platform that gonna bring the benefits and solve the pain points that everybody wants solved, right? If you're a party to the transactions, if you don't have the network, it is very difficult for this to be successful. So with, between the business, the deep business expertise uh, combined with the existence of the network that we, Broadridge, have, um, it is very difficult for anybody else to replicate that combination. I feel like, you know, you've been in this seat long enough to see the cycles, the Bitcoin hype, the and digital asset has as well, right? When they, when they came online and rose, raised millions of, of dollars from Wall Street. It was with this promise that blockchain could do a lot of things on Wall Street. You guys have found a use case in the repo market. Where has it not been as effective? Where have you guys piloted things and it just didn't necessarily work? Or there's no way that this could work? Traditional databases or, or ordinary systems right now are, are simply good enough. Um, payments could be an example, right? Like, I, my bank is, is fine. Like I, I, I'm fine using Chase to uh, send money, send, you know, $10 via Venmo to Ryan. There's no blockchain that can necessarily do that that much better. At least some would, would say, right? I think that's fair. Yeah. 
One of the areas that, that we initially tested uh, and, and spent a lot of time on uh, and really couldn't, you know, couldn't get it off the ground and a little bit was about you know, not finding the right, the right incentives or people not having the right incentive to, to get on board was uh, reference data. So the idea is, which is the early on, obviously, and maybe there's some better ideas out there that sure. we haven't come across or thought of, but when we, back then, two years ago, we're thinking, obviously, reference data. Distributed data uh, that people contribute to it, right? Uh, and it's all you know, decentralized uh, within your notes. You can access it, you can modify it. Uh, it was the prototypical, you know, this is a slum dunk. Um, the problem was that obviously the reference data needs to be cleansed, need yeah. to be updated, need to be corrected. So let's assume we are all around this table, think about, you know, let's just, let's just get on board and let's create this reference data pool. The problem is what happens over time? Uh, what we couldn't solve for was the incentive for everybody around this table to actually contribute the, or update that, that piece of data. So. I know the data is here has to be updated, right? I know it has to be updated, so why am I gonna take the trouble to, to update it? It is not ill-intended, it's basically, I need to set up a process to update this reference data for the benefit of everybody. So then you become into this you know, lack of incentive to do it because, well, I have it, so I leverage the other data and the piece of data that I have, I won't update because I don't have the time, I don't have the process to do it, so creating Creating, you know, that's why the incentives are so important to make sure that you know, it's not just about the theoretical, technical expertise or, or feasibility, it's just creating the incentive for, you know, to create that, that mm. platform. Did you want to talk a little bit about his background? It's really rich, rich background in capital markets. Any uh, lessons learned that you apply today? I mean, you've done M&A, yeah. public and debt offerings, private equity, Experience, uh, yeah. Private equity, you missed yeah. it. No, I, mean, <laughs> I missed it already. Yeah, what is KKR? Uh, they, they just they're going to take over Walgreens, right? Potentially. Yeah, basically worked you know, for, for, for many years uh, in investment banking uh, on M&A, capital raising. And, and I think, you know, obviously, well, I do have, you know, I'm an engineer by education. So yeah. I have, you know, not technical expertise, but, you know, Technical knowledge, if you want, uh, which I never put to use, anyways. I studied theology at Fordham, so I always. So there we go. You I'm know what I'm talking about. He's a very <laughs> non-pious <laughs> person. Even I'm not practicing now. I'm just destined to go to heaven. And likewise, you'll always be an engineer. Correct. Yeah. Um, so, so pulling from from the investment banking background, right? And I mean, I think one of the things that that is very well, actually, two two key things that I could translate into you know, my new role and the new world of you know, bringing things from, from nothing into reality. Um, number one is problem solving. Right? The idea is you need to think about you know, how you're gonna, how you're gonna, what is the best way to solve a particular problem. And I, and I think uh, my, my work around M&A and capital raising helped me you know, in that front. Uh, and number two, and probably most importantly, is uh, you know, the the project-oriented uh, way of doing things. Now, creating something or starting something from scratch, let's say an M&A transaction that doesn't exist, a combined company, right? And move the process you know, forward, you know, going through, going through you know, solving for problems, going through you know, finding creative ways of, of getting the job done and actually creating, uh, getting to you know, end of job. And I think a lot of, you know, of the DLT and, you know, uh, projects you know, lack that consistency of, of follow through of you know, if, if you thought it was a great idea and there's some roadblocks along the way, you need to think how to remove them, how to get it done, uh, and then get to end job. And I think that's something that that persistency towards the the end goal uh, is something that probably you know, if you talk to any investment banker, you see that's there. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think that's actually very valuable. To get things done, are you, you, you guys, um, most of the clients we've talked about in the context of this conversation have been asset management or broker dealers. Are there any use cases you see or efficiencies DLT can bring to the capital raising or investment banking um, 
corner of the screen. Yes, I think that one of the things that uh, that could definitely change, uh, and again, it's going to take time, right? It is um, it is native security, you know, digitally native securities on chain. Uh, I know that there's a lot of you know, some countries, a lot of people experimenting on it. You know, uh, Singapore experimented with, uh, uh, with that. Uh, a couple of European banks uh, issued you know, digitally native securities, particularly fixed, fixed income securities. Uh, I think that is that is the type of work uh, that uh, hopefully is going to bring you know over time you know change and make 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 the you know the securities world better and much more efficient. Um, and I think that, you know, it's early stages, um, but uh, it, it has the potential to be highly transformative. Mm. Has, I, wonder how, I wonder how that changes the role of an individual banker. If you think about the value of... Uh, of the broker dealers in general, right? It is to provide access to capital to corporations. Uh, the form of that capital, you know, it matters, but but actually that's that's your that's a whole role. That's a value add uh, of the of the broker dealer, particularly, right? So, uh, be it you know a fixed income security that is you know a bearer bond, or is it a DLT native security? Well. For the issue, for the for the corporation or the issuer is is capital, so it is the ability. It actually, uh, it actually makes uh, distinguishes much more the value added of a broker dealer being access to, being, being able to provide that capital to this to his or her client, uh, in whatever form, in the most efficient form possible. Um, so I think it doesn't you know, it doesn't remove it, it doesn't change it, uh, because the value added of the broker dealer is provide give access to capital. I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't press on, a lot of the conversation has focused around DLT and blockchain, but is there anything Broadridge can do to move forward the public blockchain space, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, um, or not necessarily? Um, in terms of moving, it's very, you know, for us, what we can, what we are doing, right, it is, uh, we can provide uh, similar to what we do today, right? We keep the books and records for our clients, um, uh, the general ledger, the sub ledger, and uh, what we do is, if there's, you know, uh, if there could be holdings for 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 our clients, of clients of our clients uh, that are uh, that are crypto based, um, we you know we need to have the ability to. Uh, to keep those, to basically to, to provide the, the, the single unified view of books and records to our clients and the clients' clients. Um, so I think that's something that gets us closer to that to, to that world. Um, are we going to be at the forefront of the crypto world? Uh, at this point, probably not. That's an issue. Correct, and, and uh, yes, that's a very good point. Uh, on um, we recently acquired. Uh, it was publicly announced uh, a company called Shadow that actually provides uh, cryptocurrency services uh, mm. to the clients. Just similar. Gonna, yeah, I was just going to ask. Um, Do you help with M&A at all? Or is that like, I know that's on your core job description, but do you, do you ever assist Broadridge with that? Uh, when no. it When it relates to like acquiring no, crypto? We have a, no, we have a full. A biz dev team. We have a full. M&A team. Fully, no. Excellent uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, corporate development team that handles all the acquisitions. And yeah. Just going back to that point that you made about uh, the cryptocurrency space specifically, how um, do you have any clients that are very involved in this space? And you know, what are some of the questions or concerns or problems that they're seeing um, that maybe you guys could potentially help with? So. Well, we have clients that actually. Uh, actually manage uh, clients' money, right? And a lot of those holdings, or some of those holdings, are you know, are crypto holdings. Uh, so our clients need to have a way to to provide you know a, a you know a, a solution to those clients, mm -hmm. as opposed to them just you know partition their assets or actually going altogether to another provider. 
so for our clients, it's critical to be able to provide um, uh, those uh, those services, and that's why you know we need to. Everybody needs to evolve to be able to provide those services, and 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 our organization of shadow that has some of those functionalities pushes us forward into that direction. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, good sir. Thank you so much for sharing um, a lot of the work that you're doing and how you view the space. Uh, I guess as a way of closed, if there's one thing you think people might have a misunderstanding about when it comes to what DLT and blockchain can do for financial services companies, what might that be? What I want to reinforce is the idea that uh, as much hype as probably has been, uh, you go through the hype cycle, uh, this uh, DLT uh, solutions of that, that are DLT based are here to stay. They're here to be to go live, and we are a live example of that. We are definitely going live uh, early next year. Uh, so uh, through the hype, right? There are solutions uh, that actually the ones that actually are really value added that actually tackle industry wide problems and can provide immediate solutions of uh, value to our clients. Uh, they're definitely going to go live. Not just prodigies, but many others. We amongst one of them. And they are here to stay, these DLT solutions. You heard it here first from Horatio Burakat, the VP of Corporate Strategy over at Broadridge, diving into all things DLT. They have a crazy cool repo market solution that in 2020, we hope, we'll see, we'll have you back on to talk about it. We'll be changing a very interesting corner of the market that is I think getting paid attention to more and more, but maybe that's just because I didn't know what it was six months ago. But in any case, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Scoop. We hope you tune in next time. And don't forget to subscribe and favorite wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app on the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to turn cash into crypto. Cash App now supports Bitcoin deposits in-app, so be sure to move your Bitcoin from whatever wallet you're using to Cash App. Don't have any to deposit? Cash App is also the most convenient way to instantly buy and sell Bitcoin. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfers to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, and places like Chick-fil-A. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play. 